Thank you for being here. I want to start off just a little bit differently tonight. We got a lot of things to pray over. Uh, and I want us to take some time around the tables to pray over a few really specific things. And the first one I want us to pray over is the Mid-South Mission of Mercy. This is going to take place in this room or this building. It'll be in the other gyms as well. Some stuff will happen in the fellowship hall. But over the next 24 hours, there are going to be dental chairs all over this place. And this place is going to be filled on Friday with about, I, I'm, you tell me if I'm wrong, about 1,000 patients on Friday and about 1,000 patients on Saturday. They're going to see free of charge. It's not going to charge anybody a dime for any of that. The Lord has provided all that, and the Lord has given us an opportunity to use the facility that God has blessed us with to invite people in, and as the dentists and hygienists and all the people that will be involved, all the volunteers, as they're ministering physically to all of these people throughout our city, there's also going to be people that are going to be sharing the gospel, ministering to them spiritually. And so over the next three days, there are going to be about 2,000 people that will come through these doors and will be ministered to physically, but also ministered to spiritually. So I want us to take a couple minutes around the table, and I just want us to ask the Lord to bless that, that this whole weekend. And here's a couple things that specifically that I'll ask you to pray for. I'm asking you to pray for the Lord to just go before us. You know, anytime you try to do something for the Lord, how many of you know spiritual warfare? I mean, the devil's just throwing stuff. All of a sudden, all kinds of things happen. We're just gonna, we're gonna pray against those things. We're gonna pray against technology issues. We're gonna pray against sickness. We wanna pray against any issues whatsoever, security-wise, around our property. And we wanna just pray for wisdom for these dentists and everybody involved. And then we wanna pray, I'm just praying, the Lord will bring people that have never heard the gospel or maybe have heard the gospel and have never accepted it and we're just praying people will get saved, okay? So I just want you to take a couple moments around your table and let's just ask the Lord to just bless this weekend. And uh, so let's just go ahead and do that right now. Go ahead at your tables. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us here at Bellevue with an incredible facility. And Lord, I thank you that Mid-South Mission of Mercy will be coming here this weekend. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, a blessing upon this entire weekend. I pray Satan will have no place on this campus. Lord Jesus, I pray you'll go before us. I pray you'll bless all the dentists and all the volunteers, everybody that'll be taking care of all the logistics and everything that happens. I pray for the people that'll be sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray for no sickness. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, as people come on this campus, Lord, they see kindness, they see love and grace and mercy. And Lord, I pray as the gospel is shared, Lord, that you will let people taste and see that you are good. Lord, I pray this weekend people will be saved. And Lord, we're just excited to see what you're gonna do. So Lord, we're just asking you to do something wonderful and great this weekend. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to play a small part of it. And we wanna say we love you, we praise you, and we pray this in your precious name, amen. Hey, the second thing <clears throat> I want us to pray for around our tables, I've had three different men in the last 20 minutes come in. I say, how you doing? And each one of them had something different going on. One of them's son has cancer. One of them's son's having some, some kidney issues. I was on a, on a kidney transplant list. <clears throat> one of them was an unspoken request. And I was just reminded that probably each one of us has something we're going through or something that we just, we just need someone to pray for us. And I, I'm not telling you to just air out everything right there at the table and share everything. But if the Lord has, if there's something really going on, you say, guys, can you just pray for this? And if it takes a minute or five minutes, whatever it takes, we're just going to take that time around the table. 
And I'll close this out here in just a few minutes, but maybe share something and one of you guys just grab them by the shoulder and pray over that specific thing. Then someone else share. We'll take a few minutes to do that, okay? Let's pray for one another. Lord, I pray for each one of these men in this room. Uh, Lord, I, I don't know what each one of them is going through. Lord, I don't know if there's sickness or financial issues, marriage things they're walking through, maybe an addiction problem. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on in their lives. Maybe they're, they have a, a, a child that's rebelling. Lord, maybe they're, they're just in need of, of some encouragement. Lord, I pray you'll provide everything that they need. Lord, I pray you'll send people around them to encourage them. And Lord Jesus, I pray throughout whatever storm they're walking through, Lord, that they will see your hand at work. And Lord, that they will draw near to you and you will draw near to them. So Lord, we love you and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. I said three guys, and then I looked back and saw Mike. Mike Mike's having, he told me he's having full shoulder replacement next Friday. So there's four. So, I mean, I'm, everybody's got something. And so I would encourage you to put up, my, my pastor, when I was a little boy growing up, he used to say, put your spiritual radar up. Always have your spiritual radar up. And what he meant by that was always be listening for how you can pray for people. He said, you'll be amazed people will let you know what's going on in their lives if you'll only listen. And he said, then just pray for them. So I'd encourage you to do that. Hey, a couple other things uh, real quick, a couple announcements, and then uh, there's no food tonight. Now, don't get upset. I know I said the 24th, but then we got snowed in last week, and so we're bumped back a week. Next week, we're going to have a nacho bar right back there. So you don't want to miss next week. I got that taken care of. I ordered it today, so we're going to be okay, all right? Hey, also, this Sunday is a big Sunday at church. We've got something called Join the Church Sunday. And right after the 11 o'clock service, there's going to be a, a lunch for anybody that's not a member of Bellevue that wants to do maybe one of two things. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you say, I, I just want to join Bellevue. We've been here for a while. I'm excited, ready to join. We want to invite you to that lunch, okay? You're going to get an email from me at the end of the night, and it has a link on there. You can sign up for that. Or maybe you just started coming to Bellevue. And you got some questions. You just kind of want to hear some about the church. Pastor will be there, and he's going to share just the vision of the church and where God's taking our church. And I would encourage you, I was looking through the role. There's actually quite a few guys in here that aren't members of Bellevue, and that's perfectly fine. We want anybody that wants to come be a part of this to be a part of it. But if you don't have a church home, we would love to invite you to be here. Now, not tomorrow morning, but next Thursday, we start Minna Memphis Breakfast. That happens on Thursday mornings. They start serving breakfast about 5.45. Now, some of you, this is what I have discovered with men. Some of you are like 5.45 in the morning. I, I, I don't get up for two more hours. And then some of you are like, well, I had breakfast two hours before that. It's amazing. I, I, some of you, I don't know, like my grandfather, he'll text me, it's 3 a.m. Uh, go to bed, okay? I don't know, what, what are you doing, all right? He'll, he'll text me, hey, you, you know, hey, you got to check this out. I, no, I'm sleeping, okay? So, but it's a great time. Pastor's going to be uh, teaching, and you don't want to miss that, guy. $6 breakfast, great breakfast. That's going to start next Thursday. And then one more thing I want to invite you to is our Men of Memphis Conference. Now, that is going to be a couple Fridays from now, and it's going to be on Friday, February 7th, I believe is what it is. I'm, I'm almost positive that's right. Whatever that Friday is right there, I think it's the 7th. 9th, thank you. I was wrong. We're going to meet in here on the 7th. It's on the 9th, and uh, we've got a great lineup. Uh, Bartholomew Orr's pastor here in Memphis. I love to hear Bartholomew Orr preach. If you've never heard Bartholomew Orr preach, you will be fired up by the time he gets done. I mean, he gives you everything he's got, so you'll, you won't want to miss that. And then on the other side of the picture, you see Robbie Gallaty. 
I love Robbie Gallaty. I've followed Robbie Gallaty for a long time, and it's been amazing to see what God has done with him. He pastors a church in Nashville called Long Hollow, and the Lord has done some amazing things in his life, and I really want to encourage you guys to be a part of that. And then you know the guy there in the middle, pastor will finish up the conference at the end of the night, and he is super excited about that. And I just want to invite you to join with us that night. Okay, we're going to do this one more time, and then next week we'll have a place for you to check in. But I need everybody to pull out your phone, and I need you to text the word MEN to 901-901. Even if you were here the first week, I need you to do it. Even if you've registered online, I need you to do it because it's putting you in the group for today. Okay? So if everyone pull out your phone, text MEN to 901-901. That'll get you registered if you're not, and if you are registered, it's just going to show that you were here tonight, and the next week, you're just going to check your name off the list, all right? All right, I know you're like, good night. Are we ever going to get to the Bible lesson? Yes, here we go. Are you ready? I uh, challenged you the first week to read through 1 John 1, which is 10 verses. I know you can do it, and you had 14 days to do it, so surely you were able to read 10 verses in 14 days. I don't know what the math is there, but it shouldn't have taken you that long. And I challenge you to ask three questions as you were reading. Question number one, what does it say about God? What, what things did you see that that passage said about God? Number two, what does it say about man? And then number three, what does it call me to do? And I would just encourage you to ask that anytime you're studying the Bible, but specifically I wanted you to do it for that. And so we're going to just take a few minutes around the table for each one of those. So I'm going to put the first one up there. you got five minutes to discuss it, even if you didn't read 1 John 1. Don't, don't freak out on us. It's going to be okay. All right, you got, got your Bible there or you got your Bible app. Pull it open. Look at it real quick. And somebody else at the table that was able to read will be able to start that conversation. So what does it say about God? And I want you to get ready, get set. All right, so you were discussing the, the question of what does it say about God. This passage specifically has a lot to say about God. Um, so hopefully you were able to kind of dig into some of those things. Now let's look at the second question, uh, which is what does it say about man? Now I'm going to actually shave a couple minutes off this. We're only going to go three minutes on this one. But what does it say about man? What do you hear when he's in, in his writing here that it's, talking specifically about man, all right? Take about three minutes. Here we go. All right. We took a few minutes. What does it say about God? What does it say about man? And now let's let's talk through a little bit. And, and by the way, there's not one answer to each one of these. So hopefully you've had multiple things that talked about around the table. But the third question we're going to talk about is, what does it call you to do? What, what is he talking about here? And I want to remind you, especially if you weren't able to be here the first week, just when we kind of set some of the context here, is that a lot of false teachers had crept into the church and they were teaching that sin wasn't that big of a deal. A lot of them were teaching, hey, just continue on. It's, it's just not a big deal. We're sinners. We're going to sin. It's not that big of a deal. And so he's trying to correct some of that. So you see some correction in there. Um, from the writer to, to the church of saying, hey, sin is a big deal, and we need to keep it right there. Sin is sin, and we need to call it that. Um, but, but what else does it call us to do? So I want you to take a few minutes. We'll talk about it around the table, and then we'll come back. All right, guys, I hope you took a few moments and kind of talked through those things. I, I did the same thing. I read through it multiple times, and just each time I think I read it, I saw something different. So I just this morning did it one last time. And the three things I wrote down was Jesus is the only one who can save um, the, the, the first four verses are all about the incarnate word. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus Christ came down from heaven to live a perfect life in the form of a man for you and I. 
so that we can have, based off what he says right here in 1 John 1, eternal life and fellowship with the Father. That's amazing. You and I can have fellowship with the Father. That blows my mind. Um, the thing it says about me, I'm a sinner. So what does it say about me? We're, we're sinners. If you don't think you are, you are, all right? So newsflash, you are, all right? If you don't think you are, you may be a bigger sinner than, than, you, than you, yeah. I mean, it's, you're, you're in a bad spot. We have all sinned. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that hasn't sinned in the past and probably not one of us that didn't sin today. Let's just be honest. I was talking to table number three right here, and Tyler said, well, remind me of the, the, the Adrian Rogers quote, and I said, I preached a funeral this afternoon, and I quoted that exact quote when sharing the gospel. Dr. Rogers said, when you get saved, it doesn't mean you're sinless, but it does mean you should sin less. And he said, the closer you get to the Lord and the longer you walk with the Lord, you should sin less and less and less because you're getting closer to the Father. And you're, what happens is, Major Ian Thomas said, when you get saved, God changes your mind, will, and emotions. That's every part of who you are. And as he continues to make you into his image, you become more like him. But the first thing we gotta realize is, I'm a sinner. And then the other thing, what does it call me to do? I need to repent of my sins. I don't know why I didn't put that other thing up there. And have fellowship with the Father. I don't know if you realize this, but in my marriage, if I say something that hurts my wife, it causes some division between us. And until there's an apology and we have talked through it, that division stays there. And so what happens a lot of times when I do marriage counseling with couples is they'll come in and they'll have 73 items that they need to deal with because they haven't dealt with them one at a time as they happened. And they build up quick too. They build up really quick. And what happens is if, if I have that argument or, that, or I've hurt my wife, there's some division between us and our fellowship is not what it was before that until we come back and there's restoration between the two of us. And what happens is when I sin, it's against a holy God. And it creates some division. And so I'm to bring that before the Father, and I'm to repent of that. And then he restores that fellowship, that relationship. And so those are just the three things that I wrote down this morning as I did this. So what I want us to do now is I want us to read through the text, and I want to give you just a couple of things to think about tonight. Here it is, 1 John 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So he's saying that he's talking about Jesus. And he's saying that he saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. He walked with Jesus. So the one that was there at the beginning, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ, he's saying I, we were with him. We spoke to him, we talked to him, we touched him. Verse two, he said, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. In other words, there is nothing that you and I can do to receive eternal life. Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The only way you and I have access to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. And so what he's saying here is Jesus was in heaven, eternal life was in heaven, and he was manifested. He came down from being just God. He came down and he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He manifested himself 
in the form of a man, and he came to earth for you and I so that you and I could one day have eternal life. Verse three, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Now, depending on what version you read, um, this version, NASB 95, says, so that our joy may be complete. I think the King James says, so that your joy may be complete. And it depends on what version you read. You'll see either our or your. I do want you to understand, he's talking directly to them. One of the reasons for this epistle is so that the reader would be able to understand that they can have joy in their life. And I cannot think of a more appropriate thing for us to talk about in 2024 than what true joy really looks like. Because most people are walking around defeated. As a matter of fact, most Christians, I believe, oftentimes are walking around defeated. And if I can even go a little further than that, I think a lot of Christian men are walking around defeated and discouraged, and lacking joy. And so he says to them, so that our joy may be complete. And so I know you say, well, why didn't he say your joy? Well, when he says our, he's including the reader. He's saying our joy. He wants you to have fellowship with him. And he says, not only is our fellowship together, our fellowship is with the Lord. So he's saying to the reader, so that our joy, so that your joy, so that my joy may be made complete, so that we can have fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Father. Verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There is so much in this passage to unpack and we can't even begin to do all of it tonight. But I want to give you just a couple of things here. I find it interesting that it says right here, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I had an opportunity last week. I was at the store, and if you went to the store last week, bless you. I had to go to three stores to get two gallons of milk, okay, three stores. And then I got there, and I needed three gallons of milk because I've got four kids, and they drink it really quick. And a sign on the door said you can only get two gallons. So I went to another store, and they didn't have it. So after the fourth store, I said, they're just getting two gallons. That's what we're going to deal with. But I'm in line with my two gallons of milk, and you can only get two things of water. So I went ahead and got the water while I was there. And this guy beside me has the exact same thing in his cart. I said, oh, you got four kids? And he said, no, man, this may be the end. I said, what are you talking about? He said, they're saying no water. They're saying we're not going to have any lights. This may be it. And guys, there's sometimes that the Lord just, you know, just sets it up for you, okay? I used to coach T-ball, and you walk out there, and these kids are swinging a bat, and you got this tee, and you just set the ball on there, and you tell them to hit it, and that's exactly what happened. This guy said, it may be the end. I mean, he set it up on a tee. I said, well, if it is the end, what's going to happen? He said, I, I really don't know. I said, well, that seems like a scary place to be in, doesn't it? He said, yes. And so we talked through the gospel right there. 
Now, he didn't give his life to Jesus, but I'm praying for that guy. His name's Timothy. I'm praying for Timothy. He lives right here in Cordova. Invited him to Bellevue. I'm, I'm hoping he comes. But when we were talking through it, one of the things he said to me, and I know if you've ever talked to somebody about the gospel, you've probably come across this. He said, but you don't know what all I've done. You don't know the type of sins. He said, I know what sin is. He said, you don't know the types of sins I committed. You know where we went? We went to 1 John 1. I pulled my phone out. I pulled this verse up and I said, this is what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what unrighteousness? All. Now, I believe there's somebody in this room right now that needs to hear that. You need to hear that it doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died a horrific death for you. And to pay for all of those sins that you don't think are forgivable. And while he was on the cross, and by the way, he had been beaten. And historians say when they would beat people back then that with those whips that they would literally tear the flesh right off their bodies. And that they would beat them so bad that oftentimes you could see the organs inside of them. He was up there naked. They would, they would crucify him naked just to add to the shame. And so Jesus Christ goes to the cross naked. He's been beat. Based off what historians said, you may have been able to even see his organs. And there were men at the foot of the cross that had nailed him to it. They were gambling over who was going to get to take his clothes home because they wanted to parade them around town of, look, I am the one that crucified Jesus. And as they're gambling at the foot of the cross, Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died on the cross for you. And I know I see a lot of you in this room that I see every Sunday but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Carrying a Bible doesn't save you. Putting a cross bumper sticker on your car doesn't save you. There's a lot of people that will even get baptized and live their life as if nothing happened. I've shared this quote with you before, but I heard an old preacher in Alabama one time say, if you is what you was, then you ain't. Now you gotta let it sink in. And I had to listen to it three or four times. If you is what you was, then you ain't. And here's exactly what he meant. If you are the same person you were before you said a prayer, you didn't get saved. Because when Jesus saves you, he begins changing you. So just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. And I believe there's somebody in this room that's never given their life to Jesus. And I cannot think of a better place in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John that we're studying over the next 10 weeks to make sure at this moment to nail it down that if you have never given your life to Jesus, tonight is the night. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross to save you. He paid your price so that you don't have to experience hell and the grave spiritually he paid for they buried him in the tomb 
Three days later, he rose again. Now, I told him at that funeral day, I said, he had to raise. He had to raise from the dead. It was not an option for him not to raise. Why? Because he said all authority had been given to him. If he stayed in the grave, he's not God. He rose from the dead to show that he was bigger than sin. He was bigger than the grave. He was bigger than hell. He was bigger than the devil. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. So he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and it tells us in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, might, can, hopefully, probably. It says if you confess and you believe, you will be saved. If you ever hear our pastor preach, at the end of that message, you're gonna hear RBR. Repent, believe, receive. He always says it. What you need to do is repent of your sins. That means to turn your back, say, I don't want that lifestyle anymore. You need to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save you. And you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want us to go on, but before we do that, I wanna ask you to bow your heads with me. And if there's anybody in here that has never asked Christ to come into their life, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know, if I was to die today, I don't know if I would spend eternity in heaven. I don't want you to live your life that way. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. And so if there's anybody in here right now that has never given their life to Jesus, or maybe they were baptized, but they they never even understood what it meant. They just did it to join a church, or they did it because somebody else wanted them to. And you've never truly given your life to Jesus. I want you to give your life to Christ right now. And I, I'm gonna pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's, it's literally you just talking to God. But I'll, I'll say a few words and then you can repeat them after me. You don't have to say them out loud. You just say them quietly in your heart to the Lord. And here's the amazing thing about God. When we pray, he hears us. And so if you wanna give your life to Jesus, pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't have. And Lord, I'm sorry. I repent of my sins. And Lord, I believe you died on the cross to save me. I receive you into my life. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you promised me. If I will confess and believe, you will save me. I love you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to let me know tonight when we're done. Because I want to get you somebody that can help you walk through the scripture, somebody that can talk to you about your next step, someone that can help you in your walk with the Lord. There's no greater decision you can make than to follow Christ. So, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I want to give you four things tonight that I find have been a big encouragement to me. Here's the first thing. Number one, the gospel produces eternal life. You and I have no ability on our own to save ourselves. We cannot work our way to heaven. When I was in high school, I had a very dear friend who was Catholic, and the guy knew so much Bible. One time I asked him, I said, Jeremy, what does it take for a person to go to heaven? And he said, that's easy. He said, Jesus died for me and he loves me. I said, okay, what else? He said, when I die, 
if I've done enough good things and I've done more good things than bad things, God's gonna let me into heaven. And I said to him, Jeremy, we were juniors in high school, I said, Jeremy, what if you get off in your count? What if you think you've done more good things than bad things and you get there and you've actually done more bad things than good things? He hung his head and he said, then I guess I can't go to heaven. I said, Jeremy, is that how you want to live your life? You can't do anything to save yourself. Because if you could, Jesus didn't need to come to earth and die on the cross. He wasted his time, and he went through all that pain and suffering for nothing. I do not believe God wastes any time. The funeral I did today was for a sweet lady, 73 years old, who's had Alzheimer's for 20 years. 20 years. The last five years, she's been nonverbal. And I watched her husband as the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my entire life today. I, I, I just cried. I watched her husband lean over that casket and kiss her and say, baby doll, I love you. Don't have too much fun without me. I'll be where there when the Lord's ready. It was amazing. I tell you how the Lord blessed me through that man. For 20 years, he's been faithful to his wife in a culture that will throw marriage out for anything. You gotta fight for your marriage. But the other thing that blessed me was I asked him, I said, did Miss Vicky know the Lord? He said, yes, she did. He said about 35 years ago, she gave her life to Jesus. And he said, I know exactly where she is and I know exactly where I'm going when I die as well. And I thought back to my friend Jeremy. He has totally missed the gospel. He has totally missed what Jesus did. It says in verse one, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And then he goes on to say, we proclaim to you. They had seen Jesus Christ. They watched him crucified. They saw him after he rose from the dead. They were there when he ascended into heaven. They watched all of his miracles. They watched him bring Lazarus back from the dead. They watched him heal the lame man. They watched him heal those men with leprosy. They watched him touch the lady that had been sick for years and years. They watched him do all of these things. They knew who he was. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And they were proclaiming what they had seen and what they had heard. And that is the only way to heaven. Here's why. It's interesting. Why is he having to make this statement? Why is he having to walk through this? Because these false teachers have crept in and said sin is really not that big of a deal. Here's where they miss it. If sin is not that big of a deal, you are not in need of Jesus. Sin is a very big deal. Because we were created by a holy and perfect God who detests sin. He can't be around sin. It says It says filthy rags in his eyes. It is, it is disgusting to him. He cannot allow that into heaven. And so therefore, because of our sin, we can't make it there. We can't go there. And so he had to come to us. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel produces eternal life. He says in verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us indeed. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. These things we write so that your, our joy may be made complete. 
He talks about in verse two, he says, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. The gospel produces eternal life and there is no eternal life with God without the gospel. So number one, the gospel produces eternal life. Number two, eternal life creates fellowship. You see, what happens is, and it's a beautiful thing, I had an opportunity, and I don't think you'll mind if I say this. My, my, th- these are some guys that I'm in life group with over here at table number one. Now, they're not special at table number one. That's just where I put them. But I was at the courtroom with Shannon Smith, my good buddy Shannon Smith, when he adopted his son Roman. And I sat in the back of that courtroom, and I listened to that judge. It's one of the most beautiful, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. Because as they walked through that adoption, that judge said, he is no longer somebody else's son. He is your son. He adopted him into his family. That is his son. That's exactly what Jesus Christ does with you and I. We are brought brought into the family of God. You see, eternal life is really just a byproduct of what God really does. He brings us into his families. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus told his disciples, I'm getting ready to go away. He says, where I'm going, you can't go with me. But I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has gone back to heaven, and he's preparing a place for those people that accept him into their life, and because he's in heaven, God says that you and I are joint heirs with Jesus. We're adopted children of God. I, I can't comprehend it. That the God of all creation that literally spoke the world into existence loves me enough to adopt me into his family. I'm no, nobody else's child, I'm a child of God. And what happens is, when we become a child of God, we have fellowship with the Father. I remember when I was growing up, and I've shared this before, but my dad used to spank. Now, if anybody doesn't like spanking, just plug your ears for a moment. My daddy believed in spanking, and we spank in our house too, so if you're wondering, there it is. But when I say he believed in spanking, I'm talking about he believed in spanking, okay? He had a paddle. It was, it was, it was rough, okay? He spanked for direct disobedience, Direct disobedience. If he said, don't do it, you did it, you were getting a spanking. It wasn't a question. It wasn't a, hey, you know, don't do that again, or you're going to get a spanking, and then you do it again. And he said, no, don't do that again. No, he's already told you not to do it. You do it. It's a spanking. That's just how it worked. And I can remember growing up, I was horrified. I was terrified of that paddle and my daddy. Now, mama could whip me. That was fine. My meemaw could whip me. That was great, okay? My grandfather whipped me one time when I was two. I cried. He never whipped me again, so there wasn't an issue there either, okay? But it was just daddy, and I was, I was terrified. But it was about the age of 10, 11, and 12 that something changed inside of me. The Lord did a work inside my heart. I no longer wanted to obey my parents because I was afraid of the paddle. I wanted to obey my parents because I love my parents. I wanted to make my father proud. I had a relationship with him. We had fellowship. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you had with your dad. I had a good relationship with my father. We did everything together. And I had a great relationship, and I love, loved him, and I love him right now. Because we had fellowship. And I was 
beginning to obey, not because of a paddle. I could have cared less about the paddle because I wanted that fellowship. And what happens is when we come into the family of God, you and I get fellowship with one another. This is why I need a life group. If you're not in a life group, you need a life group. I need these guys. These guys, they have no idea. There's guys sitting at that table that'll send me texts. Man, when I see their name pop up, I mean, it just, it, I'm just encouraged. I need them. So I have this fellowship, but I also get this fellowship. So eternal life creates fellowship. Now, I saw Noah Siddham walk in. He just finished preaching in the chapel. I think he's upstairs, so he's gonna get a laugh out of this. I showed him my points earlier today, this afternoon. I said, I'm really struggling with my point number three, and he helped me, what I call, massage him out a little bit. So it went from three points to four points. So I'm gonna give Noah some credit here. He's smiling real big. Yeah, yeah, he's happy, okay. Eternal life creates fellowship. Number three, fellowship leads to joy. See, here's where most people miss it. You and I cannot have joy without fellowship. Fellowship comes through, or joy comes through fellowship with the Father. You see, we can have happiness, but happiness is momentary. Happiness is when you get to buy a new car, but it goes out the window when it gets scratched in the parking lot two days later, or your kids spill something in the back seat. That's why I buy old cars that are scratched up. It doesn't bother you if they mess them up. Okay, that's happiness. Or happiness is getting to go on a vacation you've always wanted to go to. Or happiness is getting to go see your, your favorite sports team. Or happiness is getting to go to a concert you've always wanted to go to. You can have that, but that's just for a moment. That's fleeting. That's gone. It's, that, that's momentary. Joy is something totally different. The joy of the Lord. Now, my meemaw, my dad's mom, was named Joy. She's the most, one of the most joyous people I ever knew. She went through cancer for about 12 years before she went to heaven. And I would watch her. She walked through esophagus cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, brain cancer, and finally it just went all throughout her body. And I watched her take where God had placed her and do amazing things because the joy of the Lord was in her. Joy comes through the fellowship with the Father. Notice what he says here. In verse five, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now let's think about this, what he's talking about when he's talking about light and darkness. He's using this analogy here, light meaning what? What does he mean when he says light? What, what is it? Pure, pure, yet no sin. He's talking about goodness of God. And when he says darkness, what is he meaning? Sin. Uh, I, I don't have to tell you, we live in a very sinful culture. We live in a very sinful, um, sinful world. And we all have sin in our life. And so he's using this analogy, but what he says is, we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So when you have a rich fellowship that there's no division between you, you experience what the Father has. When you sin... There becomes division between you, backs away a little bit. Now, I don't think that God goes anywhere. I think we push him away. I think God's right there. I love the story of the prodigal son, and I love the part, my favorite part of the whole story of the prodigal son is that the father was looking for the son. And the Bible says that he saw him at a distance. I love that. And I think that's a beautiful picture. I think God loves us so much. He's, he's watching He's, he's waiting. 
for us to repent and come back to him. But what happens is when we sin, we bring division. And so fellowship leads to joy. Now, I, I wish that I could explain to you what joy is, but this is the best explanation I can give you. It's not really an explanation of what it is. It is something that I experienced. A few years back, my mentor and one of my best friends passed away. He was the mentor in our life group, Mike Golding. Many of you in this room knew Mike Golding. Uh, very few men in my life that I ever met like Mike Golding. Mike Golding loved Jesus. Mike Golding loved his family. Mike Golding was a man's man. Mike Golding was a guy you just wanted to be around. Mike Golding was a guy that would go on mission and build churches and he'd come home and he'd lead his family and he'd come to the church and do, I think the guy just worked all over the place. He just served, that's just who he was. And I remember him getting cancer and I remember, or, or it, was a, it was a brain issue and I remember when he died. And I remember going to his grave actually on many occasions for the first few months after he passed away, just really struggling. I don't know if you ever wrestle with the Lord but I really wrestled, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing here. I don't get it. And I'm sitting at his, literally, I'm sitting there one day at the foot of his plot right there. And by the way, Mike's not there. I don't know why I kept going. I mean, I, I'm all for going and paying respects, but you know, I'd go there and I'd, I'd talk to him. He wasn't there. The Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Mike, as soon as he breathed his last breath, I believe was with Jesus in heaven. But I was sitting at the foot of his plot and I was weeping, and I remember saying, Mike, I need you here. I need you here. And I just sat there for a moment, and the Lord reminded me that Mike was with him in heaven, and that Mike had no more pain, no more sickness, no more heartache, no more issues. I cannot explain to you what happened in that moment but the Lord reminded me that when we have Jesus, we don't need anything else. And the joy of the Lord just, just kind of overcame me. And my weeping for missing Mike changed to a weeping of the presence of God. I've not had a lot of experiences like that. But I walked away from there very different because the joy of the Lord came over me. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see is sin breaks fellowship. I mentioned this at the very beginning he says in verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself was in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, I believe that when you and I get saved, when we give our life to Jesus, that he comes in and he cleans us up. He washes us white as snow. He throws our sin away. He forgives it as far as the east is to the west is what the Bible says. And it's totally forgiven. And I don't believe we ever have to get saved again because he's already saved us. And how many of you know once God's done something, it's done? There's people that believe you can lose your salvation. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Because I don't believe we're holding on to God and I don't believe our relationship with God is based on if we ever sin again. I think our relationship is based on what he did on the cross. And so I don't believe we lose our salvation, but I do believe we can lose fellowship with him. I do believe you and I can push him away and I do believe we can allow sin to creep into our lives and what begins to happen is that small little place of division begins to become more and more and more. I talked to a guy Saturday, 
Saturday, Monday, Monday. We got basketball games all the time. So Monday night, I'm at the gym. I'm talking to this guy, and I asked him, I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, well, you know, I used to go to uh, uh, Bartlett Hills Baptist Church. I said, oh, that's a great church. And I said, what do you mean used to? He said, well, you know, growing up and kind of early in my 20s, and then right when I got married for the first couple years, and this guy was probably about 50, 55, I think. And so I said, so how long do you think you've been out of church? He said, probably about 30 years. And I said, well, well, what happened? He said, you know, I, I really don't know. He said, but I would be ashamed to walk back in that building. And I said, well, well, why would you be ashamed? He said, because those people would probably judge me for, you know, the way I've lived my life the last 30 years. I said, can I just say this to you? Don't worry about anybody else. What you really need to be thinking about is what Jesus thinks about you. And I said, and we came right back here to John chapter, 1 John 1. He says, if you confess He's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins. What I want you to understand, men, is that joy cannot be taken away from you, but joy can be given away. And here's what I mean by that. I got a question that we're going to discuss in just a moment, and the question is, what kinds of things steal men's joy? I don't like the wording that I wrote down on this because I don't think anything can take your joy away from you. If joy comes from the Lord, nobody can take that away from you unless you give it away. But I do think one of the things that causes that joy to be absent in our life is sin. Because what ends up happening is division's driven between us and we lose that fellowship with the Father. And have you ever noticed this too, by the way? I've got a buddy who I believe is a Christian. He's not walking with the Lord and all of a sudden he doesn't want to hang around any of our friends that are Christians. And I'll text him and I'll call him. He don't want to have anything to do with anybody. You know why? Why? Why doesn't he want to have fellowship with us? Because he knows we're not walking in the same direction. And part of it is he's embarrassed. Part of it is he knows he's in the wrong. And so he doesn't want to have any fellowship. So you end up losing fellowship not only with the Father, but also with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when I look at these four things, and I look at 1 John chapter 1, one of the things that's amazing to me is that the God of all creation loves me enough loves you enough that he would come to earth despite our sin. The Bible says in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us that much that he would give us this and he desires for us to have fellowship and joy. That's what's prominent through this passage, fellowship and joy and eternal life, those three things. So I do want us to take just a few moments. I'm gonna actually bump it down a couple minutes here. But I want you to talk about, I, I don't like the wording that I put here, but what kinds of things steal men's joy? Why is it that we oftentimes walk around discouraged and without joy? Why is that? Talk about it around your tables. We'll come back in just a moment and close it out. Tomorrow afternoon, I will preach another funeral of a lady that's a member here at Bellevue. Three months they're three months shy of being married 70 years. Is that not amazing? Three months shy of being married 70 years. And I got to visit her in the hospice home in Collierville a couple weeks ago. And it was the first time I'd ever met her. I know some of her family members. And her husband was there. He's 93. This is one of the sweetest, godliest men I've ever met in my life. And this is what he said. He said, you know, the last couple of years have been tough. And he said, I don't know how people do it without the Lord. He said, because that's who we're looking to. And that's exactly where she's going. And he said, so yes, it's hard. 
because he said, I've pretty much been with her my entire life. He said, but I know where she's going, and I know I'll join her soon. And I thought to myself, if we could grab hold of that, men, his relationship with Jesus, that's where his joy is found. His joy is not found in his wife. He loves his wife, loves to be with his wife, but his joy is found in Christ. And I'm telling you that the devil wants nothing more than to take that away from you. The Bible says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe one of the things he wants to do is he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your faith. And I think he wants to destroy your life. But Jesus has come so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you some homework for next week. I don't think there's going to be ice between now and then, so we should meet next Wednesday. And I, I hope you'll be back. There's going to be a nacho bar right back there. I ordered guacamole and nacho cheese and salsa and all that stuff today, so please be here for that. Here's your question. If your wife is, by chance, over in Bellevue Women right now, um, here's your question to ask them. How is your joy in this season of life? How many of you know there's different seasons of life? Like, I, I thought, you know what, if I can just get out of the toddler stage with my kids, I'm going to be golden. Well, now we're in the season where we play about 15 basketball games a week, and I just keep thinking, you know, if we can get out of this season, we're going to be golden. And then I talked to somebody else who told me he's an empty nester, and he said, I thought it was great until one of them moved back, and he said, it's the worst. He said, it's tough, man. And I, so he, he hasn't encouraged me about the next season either. So how many of you know there's different seasons of life? So there's your question to ask your wife. How is your joy in this season of life? Now, what we'll, where we'll be next week, we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. Here's the three questions I want you to ask. Why is obedience sometimes difficult? It's talking about obedience. And, and by the way, as you're reading it and you're thinking about that, that question, I want you to think about Abraham taking his son Isaac up on the mountain. What is your takeaway from verses 3 through 6? And what area is God calling you to obey in? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for these men. I pray your blessings upon them tonight. Please take them home safely. Let Satan have no place of discouragement, depression, division, or anything like that. Speak the name of Jesus over them. I pray you'll be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner over them. Bless these men as they go home tonight. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.